Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Slaying Bulls and Bears, a podcast about economics, markets, investing, politics, and profit. Every Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street portfolio manager Herb W. Morgan distills the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb now. Good morning, everyone. Monday, March 14th, 2022. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director, Chief Investment Officer here at Cantor Fitzgerald. This is my weekly economic and market commentary. Uh, you can also follow me intro week if anything exciting is happening. I like to post eh, once or twice a week on LinkedIn and on the Twitter at ETF underscore strategist. This is available both by subscription, free, with slides, graphs, and charts, uh, or also free on podcast, any Spotify, Apple, Deezer, you name it, it's all there. It's slaying, the title is Slaying Bulls and Bears, Making the Complex and Complicated Simple and Sensical. None of this is too complicated, right? Presentation, though, is prepared by me for use with you, whether you are a financial advisor or an investor. Regardless, you're expected to make your own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation is investment advice, should not be treated as such. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities, informational purposes only, accuracy, adequacy, or completeness cannot be guaranteed. Well, let's get right into it. A, another negative week in equity markets, broadly speaking, the exception developed international large up about 60 basis points on the week, but they're also the worst performer on a year-to-date basis. It's now red all the way across the board. The best performer is our alternative investments piece, about 6% of the portfolio. It was actually up last week, but for the year, only down about 1% beating uh, the HFRX Global Hedge Fund Index. We don't talk about this too much. It's a small portion of the portfolio. Spend most of our time, of course, talking about equities and fixed income. The, the fundamental underlying aggregate demand in the U.S. economy continues to be very strong, and the data bears that out. Consumer credit grew almost $7 billion in the month of January on top of a giant $22 billion gain in December. Revolving credit was, yeah, it fell a little, mostly I'd call that unchanged in January, but pretty good number overall shows confidence. You can see the red down bars back during a recession. People are concerned, uh, not yet seeing the impacts of say, uh, excessive fears about Ukraine, Russia war, that kind of thing, because this was really a January thing. The invasion took place in February. Small business optimism, however, continues its descent uh, from pretty good returns back, you know, pretty good levels, I should say, back before the COVID pandemic. National Federation of Independent Business Small Business Optimism Index fell to 95.7. That was below the expectations of 97.3. And for the first time in a while, businesses said they're not planning to hire as many and their expectations for CapEx have gone down. Now that's a little bit different than what we're hearing from the large businesses who are facing a lot of cost pressure. They're saying they plan to spend more money on CapEx because technology in the long run delivers efficiency uh, and maybe helps with some of those cost pressures. Uh, obviously, inflation, supply chain issues, the shortage of labor dominate the reasons for that benchmark or that index uh, indicator uh, continuing to go a little bit lower. We had the worst, largest 
trade deficit in U.S. history in the month of January on rising prices of energy. This was, you know, this is a debate. It's a political debate domestically here in the United States about uh, the need for domestically reproduced energy versus the transition to cleaner energy versus the reliance on foreign energy. And we are now living that out. Uh, there was some, you know, through executive order, the prior administration was really trying to increase domestic energy. Uh, there are environmental concerns. So the current administration has reversed much of those right at a time where we have the Russia invasion of Ukraine and overall energy prices spiking even before that. The trade deficit based on that grew from 82 billion to 90 billion. It was ahead of expectations. Remember that a, a trade surplus adds to GDP and a trade deficit subtracts from GDP. So this will do a number on the GDP estimates and will slow growth. Now this isn't as bad as saying having CapEx go down or consumer spending go down, but be sure it's a negative to GDP. If it was all just in goods and services, you could say, well, you can almost write it off by saying, hey, the American consumer is so strong, they're buying stuff, imported stuff, and it's all fine and okay. Uh, but when it comes to energy, it becomes a national security issue. Um, it was so big, in fact, it exceeded even the widest estimate of the economists surveyed for Bloomberg. Inventories, which is normally a somewhat volatile series, inventories get drawn down during a recession, COVID recession there continue to get built up. They rose 0.8% right along with expectations in January. Sales, meaning the inventory is coming back out the other side, uh, gained 4%. So that was a really strong number in the end. The labor market continues to be very tight and jobs continue to be exceedingly plentiful in the United States. Uh, respondents to the survey are citing issues, finding you know, applicants that can, you know, commit to being on time, commit to perhaps drug tests and perhaps pass criminal background checks. We are down to that level again. That's good news for labor, right? You've got a little bit of pricing power for your own services. Job openings in January came in at 11.26 million, just off that all-time high from December and well ahead of the expectations of 10.9. Weekly jobless claims continue at a very, very low level, 227,000 continuing claims below 1.5 million, all very good. So this is good news. Now the bad news. Bad news is the CPI, Consumer Price Index, right along with expectations, rose eight-tenths of a percent in February. I thought we were at core or at you know peak inflation. You know, I said maybe December, January, not correct on my part. Looks like February, uh, is still up there uh, pretty significant. Now, these are year-over-year -year gains. So when I say peak, I'm talking about seeing these year-over-year -year gains start to come down. Um, gasoline price related to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the war uh, has really been the driver of that, 6.6% in February. Food costs up pretty high as well, 1%. Uh, core CPI now at 6.4% on a year-over-year basis. All of this is making us, you and I, consumers, people who respond to the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey, a little bit less optimistic. Inflation has that way of doing that to people, being not feeling so good about if their paycheck didn't go up and everything that they spend on, whether it's rent, food, gas, 
Um, you know, gas is sort of that universal one hits uh, some people harder than others because it's a bigger percentage of their spending. Um, and that gas price thing is hurting. I, I paid $6 in San Diego last week and uh, I expect to pay over $6 a gallon this week. So that drove consumer sentiment down to 59.7. That was below expectations. Some people say this is a precursor to a recession. I've talked about my view here. The aggregate demand in the economy is too strong. The labor market is too tight. Balance sheets are too great at the household level and at the corporate level. That I don't think this energy shock is enough to cause a recession. 30 years ago, an energy shock caused a recession. Our economy is very dependent on energy, but nowhere near as dependent as it was back then. Our economy today is a technology and services related economy more than anything else. As evidence of that, look at the makeup of the S&P 500. Energy back 30 years ago was 25, 28% of the market capitalization. Today, it's less than 3% of the market capitalization. So as uncomfortable as it is, in my view, not enough to move us into recession. What it has done is, is this uncertainty in the world causes stocks to sell off. That may or may not represent an opportunity to you. It kind of does to me. Uh, I like it when stocks get cheap. Stocks never get cheap when things are good and there's no war and prices are, are low and everything is plentiful and there's no supply chain worries. Stocks get cheap because there is some fear and some uncertainty in the economy. That is how opportunities are created. These are the forward earnings estimate PE multiples for five different equity indices. I'll start with the most expensive one here. You can see it in gray. That's the NASDAQ composite index. That PE multiple has come down from nearly 40 back here to about 26. That makes, given the growth and the quality of the companies in that index, it makes it kind of cheap. It's been cheaper. Let's not you know, kid ourselves. But when you look over here, let's say you look at the orange, this is the S&P 500, now down at 18.7 times forward earnings. You've got small cap stocks as represented by the dark blue here at 14.4, the yellow, uh, which is international developed, that's the EFA index, and then emerging markets getting really cheap. China has continued to sell off. As you all know, we made an entrance into a China position because of the slowing economy because we expect fiscal and monetary stimulus from the Chinese government. There's been some sympathetic sell-off with emerging markets. Is China more of an adversary than a trading partner? These kind of questions here. Nonetheless, we find the stocks very attractive with high volatility. And at this point, um, we're down a little bit. We're gonna stick with that trade for now. The other thing that's causing markets angst and stocks to sell off is there's a worry that profit margins have Peaked. This is the S&P 500 operating margin sourced from my Bloomberg terminal. You can see the blue line. You, know, you're, you get 13.5% is kind of a good long-term number. You go into a recession, profit margins plummet. You come out with massive fiscal and monetary spending and profit margins increase. Well, now with higher prices of energy, inputs to production, supply chain issues, uh, all of these things combine. Uh, suggest maybe operating margins could go down a little bit, so therefore profits go down and that makes your multiple a little higher. Um, but they've been stubbornly sticky. 
they haven't come down as much. Most of the costs have been able to get passed through. So that's something we really want to continue to watch. We probably peaked, look, if we came down to a 15, 15.5% margin, operating margin, would that be the end of the world? We think absolutely not. The other thing that I've been noticing is the outperformance of small cap stocks. Now this is a year to date, you can see there a year to date return of all the major equity indices. They're all down, they make no mistake about it. And I always remind people that, you know, you didn't make your one and only investment in life on January 1 and therefore you're not down, even if you're 100% in the NASDAQ, you're not down 18%, unless that was your one and only investment on that day. There's two types of players in the market. There's people like us, we're long-term fundamental investors. We buy dips, we maybe lighten up in rallies from time to time, but in the end, we're accumulating assets through our lifetime. And when we move into retirement, we decumulate, right? We sell, we have our dividends and interest, we might sell a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of principal each month. So the actual price on a given day is not particularly relevant. It shouldn't be extrapolated in one's mind. We've seen sell-offs like this over and over and over over my 35-year career. And we have a fundamental belief in capitalism, fundamental belief in the market economy, that it will continue, it will be the dominant form of the way the world uh, positions itself, the way the world operates. And so we don't really mind. Other people, though, are leveraged traders, hedge fund operators, et cetera, who might be trading all around this. And that's, in a sense, that's a big part of what causes it to go up too much and down too much sometimes. And as long as we can keep our wits about us and our heads and our emotions in check, uh, we'll all do just fine. And I know you all are doing that. Uh, but if you're not, you call me. And that's what a lot of you do. And, and uh, I'm always willing and anxious to take those calls from you. But one of the things I noticed is the best performer year to date is actually small cap stocks. It's down significantly better. Think about it. Less international exposure, where a lot of the, the geopolitical uncertainty exists today. Uh, fundamental valuations as attractive, as attractive as they've been in a very, very long time. And since the bottom, which was January 27th, which was, by the way, before the Ukraine invasion by Russia, small cap stocks are actually up. They're actually up almost 3%, 2.7%. You can see it right there on the right. This is through the invasion. So while everything else sort of sold down uh, because of the invasion, small cap stocks have held their value very well. There was a little bit of a rotation been going on. Um, we made a conscious decision to stick with our big cap overweight and our tech overweight through the NASDAQ 100, the QQQ ETF. Um, but there has been a little bit of a rotation. I don't expect that has much more to go, but we'll wait and see um, what happens. In terms of data this week, we've got plenty. The PPI comes out tomorrow, Tuesday. Remember, we had CPI last week. It wasn't so good. New York manufacturing, retail sales, import export prices, business inventories, home. But the big one is all about Wednesday's uh, FOMC rate decision. We don't believe that the, uh, that the FOMC is going to raise us 50 basis points. We think they're going to raise us 25 basis points, a 25 basis point hike. It'll be the first of probably four or five this year, market conditions permitting. And the language and the statement that comes out of that is by far the biggest news this week, other than, of course, anything that happens uh, with Russia-Ukraine war. Weekly claims, housing starts, permits, Philly Fed, industrial production and utilization, and then existing home sales on Friday. 
everybody, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast and economic and market commentary. I look forward to doing the same thing with you all next week. Thank you for listening to Slaying Bulls and Bears. If you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, go to www.efficient-portfolios.com and join our mailing list. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate us online, and share with a friend if you found this helpful. See you next week.